0: we'd like to welcome you to our current event and weekly Bible study for December 14th, 2008. And today we're going to be continuing our study regarding Mount Hermon and the Tribe of Dan. And uh, the, also the Antichrist. And uh, those subjects that we were talking about. The first article we're going to be looking at today is entitled Mount Herman Gate of the Fallen Angels, and uh, this is by a man named uh, preacher named J.R. Church. And this was a very, uh, a very concise overview of this subject. And I did a lot more research on this in the, uh, in the last week. And uh, we're going to be talking a little bit more about, you know, the research that's up there, up on the internet. I've actually modified. Uh, the PDF file that I put up. So, if you saw the PDF file that I had with the last teaching, you might want to recheck that, because I've actually uh, improved upon it quite a bit, put a lot more pictures regarding Mount Hermon, and things that relate to that. I'll be talking a little bit more about that as we get into this. Uh, Starting off, this says that, according to the Encyclopedia Britannica, Hermon means forbidden place. Mount Hermon was the port of entry For a group of wicked angels who corrupted the human race in the days of Noah. Moses wrote, The sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, And that's the biggest key verse, the the biggest key in regard to this situation, because people will say, yeah, well, this is just something that took place in Noah's day, and it's never taken place after that. And it says right here and also after that. And then you look into all the accounts of uh, when the Israelites went into the promised land and that they saw giants, and obviously this was well after the flood. So that's just an important thing to note. And then it continues by saying, "When the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare them children to them, the same became mighty men of old, men of renown." Genesis one, or Genesis six, one through four. And this is where we get a lot of our Greek legends from, and legends of times past. Um, So then we go further, and there's a rabbi that is quoted here, and it's Rabbi Jose says, following a tradition that these fallen angels who rebelled in heaven were cast down by God and became corporeal on the earth and remained on it, not being able to divest themselves of their earthly form. Subsequently, they went astray after women, and up to this day they exist and teach men the arts of magic. Now this is a, a, a perspective from a, from a Jewish rabbi. This is what he's saying. And then it says, They beget children whom they call the giants, or the Anakim, and which you can actually reference that word in the Old Testament. The, the Anakims and the Rephaims and the Zazumans. And these were different names for these giant races in the Old Testament. And then he goes on to say, while the Nephilim themselves were called the sons of God, um, and anyway, that was just a kind of a noteworthy thing that he said there. So, I think at this point, before we get into some of these other verses we're going to be quoting, let's read some. Uh, let's do a little bit more research in regard to the Book of Enoch because I again I don't say that the Book of Enoch is the canon of Scripture and that it's you know it's the Bible or whatever. I I use it like a commentary, okay, and um, I've never claimed it was canon of Scripture, but it is a fact that the Book of Enoch was actually quoted in the King James Bible. So where is that said? Well let's just look at that real quick. In Jude uh, verses fourteen through fifteen. Jude fourteen through fifteen in the King James says, and Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints, to execute judgment upon all, and to convince all they that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds. Which they have ungodly committed, and of their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Okay, so this compare this to Enoch 1 9. Okay, Enoch 1 9 says, And behold, he cometh with ten thousand of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all, and to destroy all the ungodly, and to convict all flesh of all the works of their ungodliness, which they have ungodly committed, and of all hard things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So again, this is a you know the King James Bible does quote Enoch, uh, Enoch one nine, in the book of Enoch. Um, there's one version that that uh, it's a uh, dark blue hardback cover uh, that you can get up on like Amazon.com or or these types of things. It's about it's probably about thirty thirty two or thirty three dollars. It's a very expensive for what it is. It's not a very thick book, but that particular um, version of it has all of the cross-references with the King James Bible, back and forth, back and forth. And there's usually several per page. The the point being is it's very confirmatory to the King James Bible in that regard. So it's not something that you, you come away reading and you're all of a sudden now you're questioning the Word of God. If that were the case, I would never even recommend it, even as a commentary. Okay, and that's all I'm, I'm saying. So again, when you come away reading something and it's confirming the word of God and the spirit inside you is quickened, it's a good confirmation. Uh, so, the early Christian father, Tertullian, wrote um, around 200 AD that the book of Enoch had been rejected by the Jews because it contained the prophecies pertaining to Jesus Christ. Okay? Not all of them, but some. Okay? And again, the Jews were looking for an excuse, obviously, to do that. The Greek language, I mean most of the Jews, not, not every single one, but the Greek language text was known to and quoted by nearly all the church fathers. A number of church fathers thought it to be an inspired work, particularly Justin Martyr and Tertullian, based on its quotation in Jude. Um... And again, I, uh, the, the, the one I'm referencing with the book of Enoch has so many cross-references, it's actually a tremendous faith builder uh, regarding the word of God. So I just wanted to kind of just say that before I, I quoted anything from you know, the book of Enoch uh, in regard to this study. So this is Enoch 6, 1-6 says, And it came to pass, after the children of man had increased in those days, beautiful and comely daughters were born to them. And the angels, the sons of heaven, saw and lusted after them, and said one to another, Behold, we will choose for ourselves wives from among the children of men, and we will beget, beget for ourselves children. And they descended on Artis, which is the summit of Mount Hermon, and they called it Mount Hermon, because they had sworn on it and bound themselves mutually by a curse. Okay? So this is uh, one of the books One of the parts of the book of Enoch that seems to elaborate on Genesis 6. Actually, um, particularly the beginning part of the book of Enoch seems to be an expanded version of Genesis 6. Kind of a more detailed look at it. Uh, Going further, it says, Of all the places on this planet where angels could have descended, it was the northern border of the promised land. Perhaps knowing something about God's future plans to give the territory to Abraham's descendants, these angels plotted their strategy to introduce the seed of the serpent into the human race at that particular point. Now, it makes sense if you think about it. I mean, this is the, these were the angels that came after the fallen angels um, in, the, in the giant race that came after Genesis 6. And if you were Satan, and you wanted to preposition. Your I don't know band of of devils, these giants, if you wanted to preposition them somewhere, where would you want to preposition them? Well, you would want to preposition them in the promised land, knowing that the Lord was going to promise that to the descendants of Abraham so that they would be discouraged. And let's face it, if you look at what happened after Egypt and and then that we have the uh, the twelve spies going into the promised land, spying out the land, and only two came back with a good report. When you look at that scenario, the reason that the other ten did not come back with a good report was because of the giants. They were afraid. They said, we are as grasshoppers in their sight. So because of their faith and because of their unbelief, they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 more years until that generation died out before they were suitable, in God's eyes, to be... To give it another shot to go back into the Promised Land, so uh, and and Caleb and Joshua, you know, were the only ones that came back with a good report, and they were the ones that essentially led that that group back in the second time. So, it in in a way, Satan's plan, you know, obviously the Lord uses everything for for uh, His purpose, but. It did discourage them enough where they had to wander for another 40 years and that whole generation had to die out. So it was a big deal. This is a big deal in regard to these giants. And uh, they were pre-positioned in this area. And I just don't think it's a, it's a uh, coincidence. Just something to think about there. Uh, if we go further, and again, by introducing the seed of the serpent in, into the human race at that, at that area, um, this was their plan. So also Mount Hermon lay in the territory where Ham and his family migrated after God's judgment at the Tower of Babel. According to Genesis 10.6, Ham had four sons. And the sons of Ham, Cush, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan, uh, according to, uh, to that portion of scripture, Canaan settled in the area of Mount Hermon. And southward into the territory that was to become Abraham's promised land. And again, uh, this is why the promised land was called Canaan in the days of Moses and Joshua. Okay, now remember, Canaan was the one that was cursed as well. After after Ham had had went in, and, and um, Noah had said he had woke from his wine, and he knew it had been done unto him. Okay, so he couldn't curse Ham because he had already blessed him in the previous verses. So he said, "Cursed be Canaan." That's what. Um, that's what Noah said. So he put a curse on him, And then this is the very area that they're migrating into, and in Mount Hermit's within. Just again, another in- interesting parallel there that uh, I don't think is by accident. <clears throat> so um, then if we go further, Mizraim continued to move southward in Egypt. Coincidentally, Mount Hermon has three peaks, and Ham's family encountered another three set of peaks that had been built before the flood most likely, those being the three great pyramids. Now again, that's a little bit of a conjecture there. We don't 100% know that, but... um, Going further, evidently, Mizraim was fascinated by the pyramids and developed a system of worship based on those ancient structures. Cush and Put continued the family migration southward and settled in Ethiopia and parts of Africa. To this day... Mount Hermon is still a place where evil continually rains down upon Israel. It is the area of the Syrians in the Hezbollah. The book of Enoch continues in Enoch 7, 1-4, where it says, And they took unto themselves wives, and each chose for himself one, and they began to go into them, and these are the fallen angels, and mixed with them, and taught them charms and conjurations, and made them acquainted with the cutting of roots and woods, and they became pregnant, in, in other words, what they were teaching them is witchcraft. This is where witchcraft was taught directly, you know, uh, prior to prior to the flood, and then also afterward. It's kind of funny that the fallen angels are the one teaching the women, the ones that they're procreating with witchcraft. I mean, they were fallen; their minds had become darkened. Now, so what are they going to do? They're going to try to um, defile and infest the human race as much as they can, and it's kind of like Misery Loves Company. They're wanting to bring them down to their level of of depravity. So, again, this is who they... they and this is where we get the modern-day um, uh, depiction of witches. You know, it's it's typically, you see witches are the ones, female witches are the ones depicted, you know, on the broomstick and these types of things. Not to say there's not a lot of men as well, but... I think this is where we get the classical interpretation, uh, because they would be the first ones that would have been taught these these black arts, because the fallen angels procreated with women and not men, at least initially. I don't know what it's hard to it's hard to um, say exactly what went on after that, but the Book of Enoch does make allusion to that they started to defile the animals and the fish and the birds and the fowls and. Then they became uh, more cannibalistic in these types of things, which really you would expect i mean it's, it shouldn 't be of any great surprise to us that that would have happened <clears throat> and then it goes it continues in Enoch seven and they became pregnant and brought forth great giants whose stature was three thousand ls now we don 't know how what unit of measurement that is, but we 're going to be talking about that more later as far as their height. And then it goes on to say, these devoured all the acquisitions of mankind till they were unable to sustain themselves. Now, the, the skeletal remains that have been found of the giants, and there's been, you know, thousands, typically, you know, when they find them, they, they've, they've all got six fingers and six toes, which is consistent with much of what the Bible talks about. Uh, um, Goliath had a brother uh, with, with six fingers and six toes, um, and so that was one of the places in the Bible that would confirm that. They also had double rows of teeth. They had one row, and then they had another row behind it. And both said, well, why would they need that? Well, to eat more, because they were a lot bigger, and they had to consume a ton of food in order to sustain themselves. So this is one of the things the book of Enoch makes mention too. Um, they to. They devoured all the acquisitions of mankind till they were unable to sustain themselves, and then the giants turned again Themselves against mankind to devour them. So this is where they were actually eating human beings. Now we were what was on the uh, the dinner menu. Okay, and again, it, it, Satan's Satan's goal. You have to always keep in mind what is Satan's goal with this. Well, he was wanting to corrupt the seed of men. So that the prophecy of the Messiah coming and bruising his head could never be fulfilled because that was going to come through the seed of the woman. If he could destroy all the seed of the woman, then the prophecy in Genesis 3 could never come to pass. That's why. So again, this is, this is Satan's ultimate agenda. These were just pawns of Satan, essentially. These, these giants and even the fallen angels. So going further, but remember the Lord's the one that always, you know, is, you know, probably hundred steps ahead of ever, all of them, no matter how smart they think they might be. Uh, going further, it seems that the fallen angels, the Nephilim, contaminated almost all the earth. <clears throat> we do not know how many people were contaminated, but we were told that at least Noah's family remained genetically pure. For that reason, God destroyed the world with a flood. Had it not been for Noah and his three sons, these fallen angels might have brought an end to all life on the planet. I mean, let's face it, I mean, everybody else died. And it wasn't because God was all of a sudden just trying to be mean. I, I believe that the seed had been so corrupted at that point, Satan had so accomplished, almost accomplished his goal, that God had no choice but to wipe everything out with a flood. Because had he not done that, uh, they probably would have eventually got to Noah, unless God had protected him, Noah and his family, and then there would have been nobody left. Ev- all the seed would have been... Uh, the seed of mankind would have been corrupted, either with Nephilim seed or they would have been destroyed. And uh, God wasn't going to let that happen. Uh, Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth helped save the animals and to repopulate the earth Okay, after after the flood. Uh, I'm going to segue into this little sheet here. And this says that the Sumerian texts repeatedly state that the Anunnaki, which is another word for um, these fallen ones, uh, that they came from the sky, the Anunnaki were reportedly four primary great gods who created man. Now these would be more the fallen angels, okay, themselves that they're referenced to. So these these Sumerian texts, which a lot of people say they, they predate anything that that we have biblically, okay, um, they they state repeatedly that these Anunnaki gods came to earth. And they were the and there were four primary Anunnaki gods that created man. Give me a break on that, okay? But that's what they were saying because these gods are going to come, just like they're coming today, and saying, you know what? We are the gods that created you. There is no great, great god that is over us. There, no, that doesn't exist. We're your creators. They're saying this today, just like they did. Thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. Well, why would they want to say that? Well, they're trying to to subdue man. They're trying to intimidate man. They're trying to get man to think we are their um, we are their little science project. Now, this is also related to what they call the ancient astronaut theory, which I've done a whole teaching on. You can just research that, ancient astronaut, or just part of the word in the keyword search box on my homepage on Sermon Audio. Uh, We've talked about that extensively where we, they basically are telling, and these are, this is what's being told when people are getting abducted in these alien scenarios or if it's being channeled through an ascended master or through some psychic medium. What we're always seem to be told is that Jesus Christ isn't who he says he is in the Bible. We've misinterpreted that. We've, we've messed everything up there. And that these gods came um, millions of years ago. They created us. And that they were actually another theory is that they actually Darwinism, to a certain extent, is true, but they were the ones that genetically tweaked us to bring us to where we are today. In other words, yeah, we were at one point this this pilt down man or whatever you know the cro magnum man, and they were the ones that kind of genetically came in as as our, we were their little science project and tweaked us just enough. You know, to where we would evolve to where we are today, but we've messed things up so bad today. They're going to have to come back and intervene because we've met, messed things up so bad. So again, that's just a little overview. I've said that many other times, but so they're saying these great gods. The Sumerian texts say were were one of them was called An uh, A N, uh, who was the sky god, the source of rain, and the most powerful of the gods, and then Enlil. The Lord of the Wind, and then nai, Nin Hersaga, which was the Lady of the Stony Ground, and then an, Aniki, which is a rival of one of the other gods I talked about. The term an- Anunnaki literally means from or of the sky. The Anunnaki are regarded um, by some as the Sumerian, what they call fates. And I'm not 100% sure what that means. They are spoken of in the Bible as the Anakim, or the Anak, or the Nephilim, or the Nephilim. The Nephilim in Hebrew means giants, or those who have fallen. Okay, so when it talks about there were giants in those days, in Genesis 6, that word is translated in the Hebrew from the word Nephilim, which means um, giants, or the fallen ones. Okay, these were the offspring of the fallen angels. Okay, so just to get kind of, Make that clear. Now, the Watchers were a specific race of divine beings known in the Hebrew as the Nunresh Ayin, meaning those who watch. Now, again, the Watchers are referred to, as we talked about last week, in a positive term in the Bible. It's like four places that they're mentioned, I believe. There may be more. But in the Old Testament, they're mentioned always, they're called the Holy Watchers. Daniel, that's how he refers to them. The problem is, is these are probably the same Watchers who are watching that... For one reason or another, they saw the beauty of women, and lust built up in them, and they actually, that was, seems as though, that was the main reason that they fell, okay? And, um, but at one time, they were holy, just like at one time, Satan was holy, you know, when we refer to Lucifer, and he fell, okay? He, He was the anointed cherub that covereth, that's how he's referred to in the Bible, it's that one time he was good, but he fell, I think the point being is God gives every one of us, even the angels, free will. We have the free will in this day and age to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. For you are saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Okay, John 3.16. And the other one was uh, Ephesians 2.8 and 9. So we have that free gift today, just as they did back then, in order you know to make the right choice or to not make the right choice, and um, just kind of a parallel there. So, as recounted in the Dead Sea Scrolls, in the days of Jared, two hundred watchers descended on Ardis or the Mount or the summit of Mount Hermon. Okay, so this was also. Now I know there's a lot of problems with the Dead Sea Scrolls, so you don't have to email me about that. But it's just one more confirmation here. But in the days of Jared, 200 watchers descended on Ardis, which is also called um, the, the summit of Mount Hermon, and placed in the, mo- placed in the most northernly region of the ancient Palestine. On this mountain, the watchers swore an oath, and, and they binded themselves by mutual imprecations, is how it's termed in Enoch. Apparently, knowing full well the consequences of their actions will have for both themselves and for humanity as a whole, it is a pact commemorated in the name given to their place in the fall. For in the Hebrew, the word Hermon also translates as curse. So, we've got Encyclopedia Britannica saying that Hermon translates forbidden place. And then we've got um, another uh, translation, meaning where Hermon is translated as curse. This is where these fallen angels bound themselves under a curse. And it's almost like they, they when you read the book of Enoch, it's kind of like they bound, they did this it's almost like by this mutual imprecation is how they term it uh, but how is that going to protect them i mean it's like they're it's like they're going to make this pact with one another did, and did they really think that's going to protect them against the judgment of God the Father almighty the lord Jesus and the Lord Jesus Christ did they really think that's going to be enough to protect them and what an unbelievably i mean you talk about self-centered just because they had this lust in them toward women, they were actually willing to come down and to defile humanity to such a point that God had to wipe out every single human being, save Noah and his family, those eight. They evidently they thought that that um, you know their lust was was strong enough. That in knowing full well most likely what was going to happen to the earth, they were that self centered where they these were holy angels at one time. They left their first estate, according to the book of Jude, they left their first estate, which was heaven, and they went after strange flesh. Okay, and um, they had no right to do this, but they did it just it's and that's in the book of Jude. But they were self centered enough that they were willing to defile the whole, the whole of humanity. Not really caring about what was going to happen to humanity. And, um, and it did happen. And, and God had to wipe out the whole earth. I mean, that's just, that's about as self centered as you could possibly get, you know. And at one time, I mean, I just, I just can't really relate to that. I mean, these guys, their home was heaven. And yet they still chose to do this. It, it's, it's mind boggling. Uh, so going further, both Peter and Jude added further insight about these fallen angels. Peter said, God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness, to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Now, when it says, God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, if you go in... Um, the Strongs, and you and you translate this word hell, it doesn't translate Sheol, like most of the other uh, hell, verse, hell words in the Bible. It translates into the word Tartarus. And it's the only time in the Bible that, the, that that's used. Okay, And that word Tartarus is a basically like a special compartment of hell where these angels were chained. In other words, they had their own little compartment of hell um, where they're where they're chained and uh, and reserved unto judgment it says it says they're they're delivered into chains of darkness and reserved unto judgment so now Jude put it this way, and again, I just kind of quoted this, but the angels which kept not their first estate but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness and unto judgment, unto this great day. Now, I had a guy email me this week, it says, where does it talk about the, the, the angels, it says that, um, when when we're in heaven, we're going to be like as the angels, they're neither married or given in marriage. So, how could how could these angels have, have done this? Well, this, the good angels aren't supposed to do that. Now, obviously, the good angels don't do that. They, they aren't married. They don't marry or given in marriage. Okay? But, this is an example of an angel getting out of God's plan. These weren't biblical marriages. It's not like these marriages, if if you could call them that, were sanctified by God. Sanctified means to be made holy and set apart. Um, they, sons of God, saw the daughters of men, you know, and they came down and, and took them wives, all that they chose. Okay. So this was a very ungodly thing. This isn't something they should have done, but they did do it. And evidently, when they manifested in some type of physical form, they had the equipment in order to impregnate these women. How that works, I don't know. Who knows? How can you be dogmatic about that? But um, the fact remains is that they did do it. And this was the judgment that it's talked about in the book of, of Jude. They kept not their first estate, which was heaven. That was in an estate, it's where you live. Okay. They kept that not. But they left their own habitation. And he hath reserved them in chains, under darkness, under the day, judgment of the great day. And that's in Tartarus and hell. Both passages tell of severe punishment upon the Nephilim. Yet Moses said that the sons of God reappeared after the flood. Remember we, how we said that there was, and also after that, in uh, Genesis 6-4? So how can this be? Well, the book of Enoch only mentions 200 angels, and Satan was not among them. He, Satan fell before the angels uh, fell in, the, um, in, the, in the, uh, Genesis 6, the sons of God. Satan fell way before that. Satan fell before the Garden of Eden, most likely. So this was something that happened. So evidently, for thousands of years, there's at different times, there's been angels. I mean, the Bible talks about Satan taking a third of the angels with him, I believe, during the original fall. And then you have, and again, uh, this is a commentary, the Book of Enoch, I'm observing that as a commentary, but they're saying there was 208 fallen angels that fell uh, in the days of Jared upon Mount Hermon. And these were the ones that went and defiled women and procreated with this giant race. Now there was also probably more angels that fell after that. Okay, Why would I say that? Well, couldn't have been the same angels? Well, the Bible says that these angels were reserved in chains uh, delivered into chains of darkness reserved under judgment that they were um, uh, everlasting chains of darkness under the judgment of the great day. So how could it be those same angels reappearing again in the Promised Land area, and also further procreating. Those other angels in Genesis 6 are in Tartarus. So I believe it was more fallen angels that fell at that point. Um, I think that's about one of the only ways that you can really make sense of the whole thing. So if we go further, bear in mind, Satan's forces were much larger than a mere 200. Perhaps the original group of Nephilim were scouts for a much larger group of demonic angels, actually these, but they weren't Nephilim. The, 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 the Nephilim were the byproduct of the fallen angels and the women, okay? But the original group of, of angels, these 200, might have been a scouts for a much larger force of demonic angels who under the leadership of Satan came to the earth after the flood. It seems to me that the Tower of Babel, which means the gate to God, may have been built in an effort to contact these dark forces and to forge a defense against the threat of another judgment. As noted in the Zohar, Rabbi Hayas says, to this day they exist and teach men the arts of magic. So this rabbi is acknowledging to this day these same fallen angels exist and teach men the arts of magic. Okay, so, again, magic is something that a lot of times we think of this magic trick or things like that. Now, the roots of modern day magic are totally occultic. So, I had a guy email me recently and he, he said, well, what about this guy? He's a Christian ma- magician. He goes around and uses it as an evangelistic tool. Evangelistic tool. And what I did is I just emailed, all I had to do is go up to Wikipedia I mean, which isn't exactly a godly source, but a lot of times at least you can get a halfway objective opinion about some of the things, I'm not saying all of it, but, I mean, even Wikipedia admitted that the roots of modern-day magic came from the occult, and it's very easy to document. So magic is something we need to stay away from. It's What is really magic, if you think about it? I mean, I'm talking about a magician. It's deception. is really what it is. And I'll tell you what, these guys that they've got now, these... um, Oh man! I mean, they're as blasphemous as they could get. I kind of forget their names. I know David Copperfield's one of them, but there's other there's other ones that I've talked about in the past. And these guys are as ungodly and as unsaved and as as you could possibly get. So these are things that we really want to avoid. Uh, going further here, as noted in uh, Genesis six four, uh, where it says and after that the, the angels appearing. Um, meaning that the Nephilim returned to this area after the flood and established what Joshua called the land of the giants. Moses and Joshua conquered those giants, of whom Og was king. Moses wrote that Og's bed was almost 15 feet long, according to Deuteronomy 3.11-13. through 13. Og reigned in Mount Hermon. Okay, that's the region that Og reigned in. Oh, wow, that's kind of a coincidence. Hmm. So where does it say that? Joshua 12, 4-6. And the coast of Og, king of Bashan, which was the remnant of the giants. Now this is out of the Bible here. Okay, Joshua 12, 4-6. And the coast of Og, king of Bashan, which was of the remnant of the giants, that dwelled in Ashtaroth. <laughs> I mean, Ashtaroth, like Astarte, or Ishtar, or Easter, which is where we get the word Easter from. Okay, they dwelt at Asheroth and Ederai. and reigned in Mount Hermon, and in Salka, and in all Bashan. Now, Bashan is also another word that's strongly connected to this, and I think we talked about that last, last week as well. So we've got a lot of words being connected together here. Um, we've, we've, we talk about Og um, King of Bashan. He was a giant, Okay, well known. He was the, the remnant of the giants. He dwelt at Astroth. A wicked connotation there. Rain in Mount Hermon. Okay, another uh, wicked connotation, which also confirms what the Book of Enoch says uh, in regard to that's where the the fallen angels fell. And then it goes on to say and in all of Bashan. Bashan is there's a lot of uh, negative connotations to Bashan in the Bible. And under the uh, and under the border of the Gezerites and the Macchelites. And half Gilead, and the border of Shehon, king of Hezbon, them did Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the king, and the children of Israel smite. So these giants were killed by Moses and the children of Israel through the Lord. Okay, that's the only way they could kill these these giants. It wasn't that they were so much tougher. I believe it was the Lord, essentially with them and going before them, dealing. Uh, with these situations, now the tribe of Dan moved to this area during the days of judges. We talked about that last week, and we even read all the all the, the uh, verses that pertain to that. And adopted the Canaanite worship of these fallen angels. Okay, because remember this is in the land of Canaan. This is into the area of Bashan and Hermon, Mount Hermon. And Dan moved there, and they adopted their the the worship their their own Canaanite worship. They took a lot of that upon themselves. We also know that they went to, um, in regard to Judges, how they took the the molten idol and the graven image, and they took the false priest from the tribe of Levi, and they took that with them as well. So they had their own false uh, worship system set up from that standpoint as well. So it was an ancient identity, it was ancient idolatry that opposed the worship of Jehovah. In fact, Baal and Ashtaroth were Canaanite deities whose origin was Mount Hermon. The book of Judges even calls Mount Hermon Baal Hermon. That's how it's referred to many times, as Baal Hermon. Not really two words you want connected if you're trying to preserve something of a holy nature. I think we would all agree on that. Uh, where does it say that? Okay, well, Judges 3.3 3 is one of the places. And then it says, Namely, the five lords of the Philistines, and all the Canaanites, and the Sidoans and the Hivites, that dwelt in Mount Lebanon. Now, Lebanon is also connected with Mount Hermon. It talks about the valley of Lebanon. So there's a lot of places in that area that are connected together that we're going to be talking about today. So it's, then it goes on to say in this verse, From Baal Hermon, unto the entering of Hamath. So they called it Baal Hermon in Judges 3.3. 3. Furthermore the fallen angels living on or around Mount Hermon adopted a biblical name for the mountain they actually had the audacity to plagiarize a name that god had given to Mount Moriah which or or Zion with a z we talked about this last week okay but they called it Mount Sion, with an s okay so again that's important note that they plagiarized Mount Zion, and called it Mount Sion, and that was Mount Hermon. That's what the that's what they did. Now Deuteronomy four forty seven and forty eight says, and they possessed his land in the land of Og, king of Bashan, who was the, gi- the the king of the giant race. Okay, two kings of the Amorites, another wicked race, which were on this side of Jordan toward the sun rising from Aor, which is by the bank. Of the river Amon, even unto Mount Sion, which is Hermon. Okay, so it says it very, very clearly Mount Sion, which is Hermon. Now, please reference my teaching last week because I did a, uh, I talked about this extensively because in the New Testament they only use the term Mount Sion, but remember that's translated from the Greek and it's, it's, um, when it's referring to Mount Sion in the New Testament, it's actually in reference to Mount Zion in Jerusalem. Okay, So you have to make that distinction. It's very important, because you'll get confused if you don't do that. So let's go further. Sion means lofty, whereas Zion means stronghold. It is evident that Satan was pushing for a counterfeit of God's plan for man's redemption. The devil was determined to replace the seed of the woman with the seed of the serpent. Okay, and again, where is the talk about that? Well, just go to Genesis 3 and look where where God, and I've read that so many times, I don't want to read it again, but that's where God, you know, was pronouncing the uh, judgment on the serpent and the woman for the sin that they committed in the Garden of Eden. So, in a book entitled The Gods of the Lodge, author Reginald Haupt, Jr., described what he found during his trip to Mount Hermon. Now, there's a lot of you can go to Mount Herman today, okay? And and on this PDF that I put up on the internet, I give you some pictures. Uh, the problem is, is is with a PDF on sermon audio, I can only be like it's like 500 megabytes or something. So I can't get a lot of pictures in these in these PDFs. I just can't do it. The the size quickly gets exceeded. So there's links you can click on if you want to see a whole bunch of pictures of this modern day territory and the modern day Mount Hermon. You can go and just get your boat loaded with all kinds of stuff. Uh, which is very confirmatory to what we're talking about here today. Uh, but in this book, The Gods of the Lodge, he, this man took a trip to Mount Hermon. And he says, quote, In the excavations of Baalbek, we're going to talk more about Baalbek today because that is is an absolutely fascinating study. In the excavations of Baalbek renamed which was renamed Hel- Heliopolis by the Greeks, the temples were uncovered honoring Baal and Bacchus. Who's Bacchus? Bacchus is the god of wine and debauchery. Okay? Um, Baal is uh, sometimes associated with the, with the sun god uh, Basically, Baal is, is pretty close to just basically Satan himself. Okay? Baal worship. Um, a, a lot of times connected also with uh, the obelisk or the phallic worship. These types of things. Okay, So, this book goes on to say, The same is true of the site at Sidon, which is another um, area closely connected with Mount Hermon. The temple there is named the Temple of Baal-Sidon. But by far of greater importance was the Temple of Baal found on Mount Hermon. Perhaps it would be more meaningful to you if I quote from the direct, my direct source. In the 1982 edition of the Thompson Chain Reference Bible, 4th edition, the archaeological supplement was provided by J. Frederick Owen, uh, D-D-E-D-D, he's got all these degrees. It says, Dr. Owen wrote on page 376 of his supplement the following, quote, Mount Hermon, the chief of the mountains of Palestine, is five miles wide and 20 miles long. It has three peaks, the tallest which is 9,166 feet above the Mediterranean Sea. For centuries before Abraham's time, the mountain had been ven- venerated in connection with the worship of Baal. okay. So, again, this is kind of like spiritual ground zero, spiritual pagan spiritual ground zero for worship in the Old Testament times. This was an incredibly important area okay, connected with that. And um, I don't think there's any... I don't think it's by coincidence. So, it goes on to say, Baal worship was the leading religion of Canaan. On most of the high peaks of the country were shrines known as high places. I mean, how many times did you read that when you're reading through the Old Testament where it talks about, but they built high places and these types of things. Okay, so... um, So the high peaks of the country were shrines known as high places. The higher, the holier, they figured. Okay, so... And also, here groves were planted and shrines were erected for worship. And the Bible talks a lot about groves and how these are you, typically, a lot of times, I believe they're oak groves. Because oak, the tree oak tree was venerated and still is by witches as this holy, holy tree. And um, uh, a lot of uh, high-level pagan worship went on there. So since Mount Hermon towered above all the other mountains in the region, it was the chief high place. The Shrine of Shrines. Canaanites look to Mount Hermon much as the Muslims face Mecca when they pray. Okay, so again, this is very telling. During the 1934, the summer of 1934, Dr. Stuart Crawford and this writer, Reginald Haupt, led a small expedition in which we studied the ancient Baal shrines surrounding Mount Hermon. We located many ruins... And in each case the shrine was so oriented that when the, when the priests and the devotees were at the altar they faced the chief Baal Sanctuary or what they term as Quibala, located on the highest of the three peaks of Mount Hermon. So everything, this was like pagan worship center ground zero, the Mount Hermon area. And in and, and, and all of these, these shrines that they were uncovering The Canaanites looked to Mount Hermon um, on all these shrines that they were uncovering. It said they faced the Chief Baal Sanctuary, which was located on the highest of the three peaks of Mount Hermon. Now, if you lived in ancient times, okay, after after the flood, and these fallen angels um, had come down prior to that, and then they were also there after that, and you were a typical pagan of the day, Okay, and you were looking to Mount Hermon as the chief site, and and now they're they're finding all of these pagan temples to Baal are actually oriented toward um, Mount Hermon, if you had thought that your god, the god that that had created you, or the gods that had created you, fell from Mount Hermon, fell... Why would that be of any surprise if you would orient your worship toward that point? In other words, that's one more reason that they would have reverence toward that point because they probably figured, well, that's where the gods that I worship actually originated from. That's where they came from. The Anunnaki meaning they come from the sky, okay, which is what the Sumerians were, were talking about. So, just again, another interesting point there. Uh, this is another quote from that book. It said, When we ascended... Mount Hermon, and found the ruined temple of Baal, constructed in Herdonian masonry, which dated it to just previous to during the early Christian era, in a low place near the northwest corner of the temple we excavated and found loads of ash and burnt bone, which had been dumped there as refuse from sacrifices. they They were discovering this In the early 1900s, there were still remnants of ash and burnt bone because of all the human sacrifices, or probably human, and animal, that had taken place on Mount Hermon. Okay, And again, that's from uh, the book, The Gods of the Lodge, page 126, by Reginald Haupt, H-A-U-P-T. If you want to read that. During the ministry of Jesus, he and his disciples visited Caesarea Philippi, where the Jordan River springs forth from the slopes of Mount Hermon, while observing these shrines, Jesus posed the question, Whom do men say that, uh, that I, the Son of Man, am? In Matthew 16.13. Jesus was standing in the territory of his great enemy, Satan, and his idolatrous Nephilim, and it was the area out of which the Antichrist would, would most likely, they're saying, arise. So, again, just a, kind of an interesting point there. Now, again, I went up there this week, and I did more research uh, on the Mount Hermon region, and otherwise, also known as the Golan Heights. That's another term that they give for it. And um, just a fascinating study. And we, 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 I got a lot into the whole thing um, of this Cave of Pan that they had talked about. Uh, where, where we'll be talking a little bit more about that in a second. We talked about it last week. But this Cave of Pan, there's actually pictures of it up on the internet. You can go see them. And um, this cave of Pan at one time had a large uh, water flow coming out of the mouth of the cave. Now the water flow, due to an earthquake that took place hundreds of years ago, doesn't come right out of the mouth of the cave, but it actually comes out from below it. And the pictures I have on the PDF file show you that water flow that comes out from below it. This water flow is one of the main water flows that forms the Jordan. Okay? So, the Jordan River. Um, you could still go to the site to this day. It's a very eerie looking cave, and there's actually niches that are, are carved in the stone where they would set up their pagan deities before you would actually go into the cave. Now, what they would do is they would take human sacrifices and put them in, into the water... When there was water flowing out of the cave, and there was this thing that that, uh, and I talked about this last week, where if the body sunk and um, toward the back of the cave, that the sacrifice had been accepted, and then if it didn't sink and blood appeared in an, in a nearby spring, that the sacrifice had been uh, rejected. Uh, that was how they determined what were what sacrifices they they had to perform there. But it's it's uh, it's just an amazing study to see how all these this area has all of these cities and things that we're talking about. It's all in this very, very similar area, okay? So there's, there's a lot of significance in that standpoint, too. Going further, uh, in 16... Actually, this is 1,666. Not exactly, probably a great year there. Louis, the 24th of France, authorized the building of an observatory in Paris to measure the longitude which was the beginning of the Paris Zero Meridian. Believe it or not, according to the Paris Zero Meridian, Mount Hermon, the ancient territory of Dan, is located 33 degrees east of the Paris Zero Meridian and 33 degrees north of the equator, the latitude. So, the 33rd degree became an important part of the Freemasons, probably due to the history that dates back to the Knights Templar. The French Merovingian dynasty and their family ties to the De- Danites. Okay, so that's a whole other c- scenario. But when, when, um, in times passed, Mount Hermon was located at thirty-three degrees longitude, thirty-three degrees latitude. I don't think there's an there's a uh, that's by accident. Okay, so I know there's been a lot of people like uh, I think Mike Heiser did a st- no, no, it was it was the guy that wrote the Temple to the Temple at the Center of Time. He did an extensive study on that. Okay, um, but there's been a lot of people that have went into that subject absolutely further in depth than than I could ever go into it um, sufficiently. So that's just one other one other. Uh, interesting point there. So in the opening years of the 20th century, a booklet appeared in Russia by the title, The Protocols of the Learned Elders of Sion. Not Zion, but Sion. It was touted as the exposure of a Jewish plot to rule the world. However, its Masonic connections were obvious. The booklet ends with the statement, signed by the representatives of the Sion of the 33rd degree. Now remember, in the um, Scottish Rite of the Freemasons, the 33rd degree is is the highest degree in that particular right. They view 33 as a very, very occultically significant number. So, um, that's just another confirmation there. Note that the name Sion is spelled with an S rather than a Z, and its connection with Mount Hermon is also obvious, because that's Mount Sion. And that's what the Bible says in the Old Testament, that it is. Jacob prophesied that Dan would be a serpent by the way, and an adder in the path, according to Genesis 49.17. And Moses prophesied, Dan is a lion's whelp. He shall leap from Bashan. Now, Bashan is the same region that we're talking about here. Okay? Dan is a lion's whelp. And we talked a lot about this last week. And, and again, a serpent, by the way. Uh, these two prophecies are remarkable, and they connect Dan with the seed of the serpent from which the Antichrist may emerge to claim the title of the Lion of Judah. So again, it's another it's another, uh, just interesting point to think about here. In the book of Judges, the Danites relocated to the northern reaches of the Promised Land. They settled at the foot of Mount Hermon in the territory of Bashan. Okay, again, this is, this is where the Danites settled, at the foot of Mount Hermon, the territory of Bashan. They adopted the idolatrous Canaanite religion of Baal and Ashtaroth. Eventually, they left for parts unknown and became the provincial lost tribe. This is the lost tribe of of the Jewish race. However, the Danes, which also later became known as the Spartans, because before they were called Spartans, they were called Danes. (laughs) you know, I, it's because that that's where they one of the places they migrated to to Greece. They established the same religious practices that the Danites had developed at Mount Hermon. Well, there is no coincidence about that. They just brought their false religion with them. Greek mythology is an elaborate reinvention of the Danite religion. I mean, if the root is corrupt, the you know the tree is going to be corrupt, type of thing. The Spartans invented a messenger god, the messenger of the gods. Guess what his name was? Hermes. <laughs> I'm not making this up. Hermes. He was a variation of Hermon, as in Mount Hermon. Forbidden place. Okay? The Romans called him Mercury. Supposedly, Hermes was the son of Pan. Well, what is in basically, you know, this, this, the region of Mount Hermon? Well, the cave of Pan. Well, what is the Cave of Pan? That's base, and again, I, I just talked about the Cave of Pan. But, they, but if you look at the, um, the research on this cave, uh, they basically are saying that this is where Pan was created. In other words, this is the cave where Pan was given birth to. Now, if Pan was a Nephilim, and his, and his dad was a fallen angel, and his mom was a human... She had to give birth someplace. Maybe it really was this cave of Pan. I don't, you know. But there's no doubt that Pan is connected with this cave. And it's been connected with this cave for thousands of years. And you can go there today to see the cave. Now, interestingly enough, there's a um, pool in the back of the cave. There's actually pictures of this pool. I don't know if I was able to put that on the PDF because I think I ran out of space. But this is the same pool that used to be this abyss that was mentioned in back there, this this bottomless water abyss where all the water comes out from from this one of the four tributaries to Jordan. But the earthquake that happened hundreds of years ago sealed this and now it's just a stagnant pool of water. And they actually took pictures of it. There's two pictures that I saw of the stagnant water in the cave of Pan. So again, I'm just saying that to make this real to you that this is a real place and you can go there to this day. Uh, going further, let's see here. So we we go further. Hermes had a son named Pan. The name Pan could be a corruption of the name Dan. Well, I think that may be a stretch, but today the Arabs call Caesarea Philippi Benaeus. Okay. But that is because there's no P sound in Arabic. The older form was Panaeus. And I mean, I mean, if you look on a modern day map, it does say Banaeus. Okay, here's another pagan connection to this land. There's so many. I mean, we've mentioned so many today. But it was originally called Panaeus, for the god Pan. And we also had a city. The, uh, actually, Panaeus meant the city of Pan. The name comes from Pan, the pagan god who was worshipped there. Niches for Pan statues can still be seen there outside the cave of Pan. I mean, When I showed my my daughter Taylor this, she was looking up she says, what are those things cut out on the wall? Because it's all this rock and there's these nice, perfect little, and they're still preserved to this day, these niches where they actually would sit their gods. They're these little, in the rock, carved out right next to the cave of Pan. If you're looking at the front of the cave of Pan, there's all these niches cut out on the right side. Is okay, how it looks. Uh, in 4 BC, this area became the tetrarchy of Herod's son, Philippus, who renamed uh, the area Caesarea Philippi. Uh, that was the 4th century BC. This name continued until the reign of Nero. The name Pan means all things, all gods, or all life. Therefore, when the Romans built a domed temple to commemorate all their gods, they named it the Pantheon. Because the word Pan... Means all gods, all things, or all life. So that's why the Romans called their temple to their gods the pantheon, because it was, okay. And when we, t- we use the word pan today, like pandemic or pandemonium, it's, it's, it's basically meaning like a pandemic, it's happening to everybody. It's, you know, so that's, that's we, we derive that word, uh, that's what it means. So it is a combination of the two root words of pan standing for the son of Hermes, or Mercury, and Theo, meaning gods. It is clear that Mount Hermon, with its infamous fallen angels, found its way into the mythologies of many ancient cultures. So, again, that's just some more confirmation here. I'm going to go ahead and end part one here, and we're going to read a quote uh, from uh, a book here next. It's a very interesting quote that just ties in to what we've been talking about here.